We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat. Jason, we have about a month until the first Bulls game of the season, first regular season game of the season. Training camp is about to open a little over a week. Hard to believe, man. It seems like last year just wrapped up, just got done with draft, free agency, and summer league coverage, and now uh, the new season's around the corner. We're finally going to get a chance to see this new-look bull squad up close. Yeah, obviously hot and heavy offseason, all the big bulls changes, and we're going to be talking about one of those big changes here coming up with a special guest. Uh, yeah, super excited. Uh, I do like the long offseason, like during normal seasons. These last two years have obviously been kind of crazy with all the COVID and all that weird stuff. So it'll be nice to get back on like a normal track, at least in my opinion. I know there's been all that talk about changing up the schedule permanently. I like the way it is when it's October to June or whatever. And then we have the nice little summer fall break, but we're, we're coming up on the season now. I'm excited. I think a lot of Bulls fans are excited as well. So we got a two part episode with you today. In the first part, we're going to talk to Noah Magaro George from pounding the rock writes about the Spurs also hosts the Alamo city limit Spurs podcast. Uh, and then we're talking to Matt Issa, who's also doing a podcast called the quest for the best ranking the 10 best players in NBA history. Uh, we had a great conversation with Matt as well, but Noah, welcome to cash considerations. Thank you for joining us, man. I guess, uh, I'll just start off as someone who's covered the Spurs for the last couple of years. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, what was your thought when you first heard that DeMar DeRozan had signed a three-year, I think it came in an $82 million deal with the Bulls, sign and trade between the two teams, Thad Young, Al Farouk Aminu, uh, first-round pick protected 1-10 to in 2025, going to San Antonio, a couple more second-round picks. So just first, first impressions when uh, you saw that deal go through. Yeah, when I first saw that deal go through, I was kind of shocked. Like I kind of not that it was a king's ransom, but it was a lot for a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who I wasn't sure what his value was going to be on the open market. I certainly didn't think it was going to be as much as he got. And then the fact that the Spurs got Thad, uh, Thaddeus Young, 
Uh, they got a Minu, they got a first rounder, they got a couple second rounders. Like that's a lot for DeMar DeRozan, who's a guy who I'm not sure how he fits with the Bulls, but at the very least, it's a it's got some name intrigue around it. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does with the Bulls this season because I have no clue really how he fits with them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was I was totally shocked when I first saw it. And like, there was definitely sticker shock when that first like came across. I was like, "Holy shit!" It was like there were the rumors <laughs> that were out there. Like they obviously got Lonzo and Cruz right away, and then like, I think like Windhorse was one of the first people to put it out. They're like, "Oh, like the Bulls are trying to like make DeRozan happen." I was like, pretty skeptical about it. Wasn't really sure about it, and then like it came across whatever re- first reported at eighty five million and ended up coming in a little lower than that. As Ricky mentioned, like I think just under 82, still obviously a lot of money. You mentioned what the bulls gave up to get him. And like a lot of like smart basketball people have uh, kind of panned that move. Like they love the Lonzo Crusoe stuff. And then like that move there's, I know Hollinger did, I think Seth Parnow did like, I know it was like Seth Parnow. I think Danny LaRue and uh, what's his name? Draft guy. How, how am I blanking on his Sam, Sam, that's right. They had a really good, like long conversation about the bulls off season. And like a lot of it centered around the DeRozan deal. And just like, uh, that I kind of, I don't, I don't want to say ruined it, but I know Hollinger like said specifically, like the big head scratcher of the off season. Um, so I guess like you said, you obviously, you said you were kind of surprised that he got like, do, like, what do you think also like was his market? Like it, I do like, like one of the criticisms I guess we did have was that like, were the bulls like betting again or uh, negotiating against themselves there. Like, do we think like anybody else would have given him even close to that? Like, do you think that there was any chance he was even going to go back to the Spurs for anything like that? Or is he definitely a goner? It's like, like, do you, do you, would you agree more with them that like, it was just like a terrible move. Like they just way overpaid for him. Or do you think like you understand why the bulls might've maybe overpaid a little bit just for, to get the talent level in there. Yeah, I, I think I can understand both like sides of the argument. But when you look at it just strictly from what DeMar DeRozan brings to the table, I think the first thing that people want to complain about is, oh, he's a mid-range shooter. He's out of, you know, he's in the wrong era. Yeah. I think that's the wrong thing to focus on. If you're thinking of what's wrong with DeMar DeRozan's game, it's that he's a terrible defender. There's really no way around that. Um, you know, out of the thousand players who played at least, uh, or sorry, not thousand, 285 players who played like a thousand minutes last season, he finished in like the 250s in defensive Raptor. Wasn't good. The Spurs try to hide him every single night. He just doesn't really put a lot of effort on that end. Um, not man to man. He doesn't pay attention off the ball. So I think if you're going to complain about something, it's not that he's a mid-range shooter. But if you do want to talk about him being a mid-range shooter, it's that he doesn't really provide off-ball value. Like you could throw him in a corner if you want to, if the ball's not on his hands. No one's going to follow him there. Nobody cares that he's there. He has the worst three-point percentage in NBA history. So, like, I, I just don't, I don't understand the intrigue around DeMar DeRozan for them, for a team that has a guy like Nikola Vucevic, a guy like Zach Levine, who also aren't really known as great defenders. So I don't know how that works. I know Lonzo Ball's outstanding in that area. I also know that Caruso's outstanding in that area. But I kind of feel like the Bulls did maybe sort of outbid themselves because I just don't understand who else would have really paid that much for him because I think at this point he's probably your like second, third option. And that's quite a bit to pay for him, especially as he enters his mid thirties. So I want to talk about just your three years of watching DeMar DeRozan on the Spurs, because obviously that was, can we say the biggest move in Spurs franchise history, the biggest (laughs) trade in Spurs franchise history, Kawhi Leonard, obviously uh, forced his way out, goes to Toronto and what the Spurs get back is DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl. So, you know, sort of a a fascinating package because it's totally different from what we saw, like, James Harden go for, where they got no players, they just got a bunch of picks. 
You could probably argue it either way. I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, the Harden trade was a total ripoff from Brooklyn's perspective. Like Houston didn't really get anything tangible back. Uh, the Spurs went with a route where they were like, all right, we want to maximize what we have left of LaMarcus Aldridge. We want to sort of bridge the future and the present. So you get DeRozan. Uh, that first year, the Spurs win, what, 48 games, make the playoffs. That was the only time yeah. they made the playoffs. And then two sub-40 win seasons. So what was it like watching DeMar DeRozan on the San Antonio Spurs? Like, what will you remember about DeRozan's time in San Antonio? Yeah, I think a lot of fans are a little salty about the Kawhi Leonard trade. So they look at it through the lens of, okay, well, we got DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. And so they're holding him this standard that Kawhi Leonard set that is just almost impossible to match, right? And so a lot of fans were just upset. It's like, okay, well, we're not in the playoffs. We're not competing for the playoffs. We made the playoffs, but we're not competing for anything meaningful. But what I remember from DeMar DeRozan is how he took a lot of the younger players under his wing. Like DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Keldon Johnson, they all have glowing reviews for him. They don't have enough good things to say. about. I mean, they just only say good things about this guy. And I think that's really, really invaluable for a team that is transitioning now. So he's no longer there, but whatever knowledge he imparted to them, that's probably going to be very valuable as they take the reins of a franchise. So I'll remember that from him. And then I'll also remember his progression because it's not like he stagnated as a player. He became, uh, I thought, really a surprisingly good facilitator. He was excellent drive kick. He finished uh, two seasons ago, second to Giannis and three-pointers created for his teammates. So I think he's a lot better than Spurs fans gave him credit for. But I think at the end of the day, you'll will probably remember DeRozan as that guy who was sort of a disappointing, you know, bridge between what was and now what is. And I think that's unfortunate, but that's sort of what I think he's remembered as. I want to talk about his evolution as a playmaker, yeah. because that's something that Jason and I have been discussing on the podcast yeah. since the deal went down. Uh, as sort of the thought for Bulls fans, a lot of people right now is like DeRozan has never played with this much shooting in his entire career. Hypothetically, you got five guys who can space the floor, knock down a three around DeRozan right now. In San Antonio, he created a lot of open looks from three. They didn't have the best shooting around him. So sort of how did that go? Because like this was a guy who was never known for his playmaking. Last year, I want to say he averaged over seven assists per game. Uh, really remade himself as a player, as you uh, just said. So how did you see that improvement as a playmaker? And then when you think about like you know how he could be with the Bulls spacing uh, sort of, how do you think that could impact his game? Yeah. So it was a really interesting progression for him. I mean, when I came in, I know he had averaged what, like four or five assists per game in Toronto, but he's not somebody who I ever saw by the time he left was nearly top 10 in assists per game. Really, really good assist to turnover ratio, hardly ever turned the ball over. That was pretty tremendous. The fact that he was able to remake his game despite the lack of shooting, really the only year he had shooting was that first year where they went to the playoffs. They had Davis, Davis Bertans, um, Patty Mills, Bryn Forbes. But after that, it was really just Patty Mills because Rudy Gay was their second best three-point shooter a year ago. So I was surprised by it, but it was little by little every year. It seemed to be a concerted effort on his part. And I think he'll look really good in Chicago in terms of being, if he's on ball and he's got all those shooters around him, I think that's going to help him a lot because while he did create a lot of three-point opportunities for the Spurs, they didn't convert. You know, they were 28th in three-point percentage, bottom of the league in three-point attempts, three-point makes. So I think that's going to help him. It's just, I think, on the defensive side of the the balls where I have question marks, but I think offensively, the the Bulls are going to be fine. They're going to be absolutely fine. Yeah, I I was going to ask about that. Because there's been talk about, like, well, how will Zach and DeRozan fit together? Like, how will they mesh? I think Zach just 
He, I think, did some interview, I think, with Sean Devaney recently about addressing that. I think DeRozan has addressed that before. I guess, like, who would you put, like, the ball, the ball, or Zach's obviously the better score, but, like, who would you give, like, be the, I guess, put the ball in his hands more? Like, would you have DeRozan be, like, the more the primary facilitator and, like, have Zach playing more off the ball? Because I know Ricky, that's something Ricky has talked about. It's, like, more Zach off ball because he can shoot the hell out of the ball. DeRozan cannot. I mean, you just brought up a few minutes ago about how do you, if you stick DeRozan off the ball, uh, teams just aren't going to worry about him much and all that kind of stuff. So you think it'd be a better idea to probably have DeRozan doing a bit more of that facilitating, uh, like, and just like primary ball handler stuff. Obviously there's Lonzo there as well, but he's also, he's more of a three and D point guard type. So it is just kind of curious to see like how they kind of split that like ball handling playmaking duty between, I mean, though, not just Zach and DeRozan, but I guess Lonzo as well. I guess your take on that. Yeah, I think with Lonzo, at least he's sort of like a connector piece. He doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands to make plays for other players. Um, And I think they lost some of that in Thaddeus Young, but they gained gained it right back with Lonzo Ball. But with with that question, I think it's it's hard to answer because you look at DeMar DeRozan, like you have a guy like Zach Levine who was pretty efficient last year with the ball in his hands and you're taking out of his hands to give it to DeRozan, who was also really good, but doesn't really provide much off ball. So I feel like they kind of have to try that. But I don't know. I mean, that's why I said at the beginning, it's like it's a really interesting sort of conglomeration of players. Like, I don't know what to think of it, what to make of it. But I think you have to try at the very least to get the ball in DeMar DeRozan's hands and have Levine play a little bit off ball. But um, I guess you would have to ask him, you know, is that okay with you? (laughs) And I have no clue. Is that okay with him? I don't know. Uh, I want to circle back to that off ball point you made about DeRozan. I was looking at his synergy numbers. And I was a little surprised, given how bad he is as a three-point shooter, that DeRozan still graded out in the 50th percentile in spot-up opportunities, according to Synergy. Spot-ups took up 12.5% of his plays, so obviously he was playing with the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, Is a spot-up guy not really a threat to shoot, but still graded out decently uh, on spot-up opportunities? But what bummed me out in an area of his game that I want to get your insight on is his cutting. So you would think (laughs) like DeRozan ideally should still be a good cutter. Uh, Always been known as, you know, a relatively high IQ player, uh, super athletic in his early days and still pretty athletic uh, wing forward. So his cutting by synergy graded out in the fourth percentile is four. Uh, the fourth percentile is poor. I'm sorry. And Yikes. it only took up 1.6% of his plays. So he basically never cut. So I'm just curious, like what you saw from him, like, were you guys like screaming at the TV for like DeMar to make baseline <laughs> cuts and to like backdoor guys? Was that like not his role? Was he unwilling to do it? What, what sort of your insight onto him as a cutter an off ball guy? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that it's that he was unwilling to do it, but I don't think he was ever really asked to do it. It was a lot of him standing. Like I said, he stood in the corner and then teams were like, OK, that's fine. We'll we'll go ahead and shrink the floor for you because they were fine leaving him in, the, in yep. the corner. And it seemed like the Spurs were fine leaving him there when he didn't have the ball in his hands. But he did have the ball in his hands the majority of the time that he was on the Spurs on the roster out on the floor. And it's it's interesting because you did say that he was in the fourth percentile, which is something I wrote about for Pounding the Rock. But he also only scored 15 points off cuts all year long, which is insane. It's just insane to think that he only scored 15 points off cuts all year long. And of all those spot up attempts that you had talked about, like how he graded out in the 50th percentile, 62 and a half percent of them were from the mid range, which I don't know how useful that is. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. But I don't think it's because he was unwilling. I just don't think they asked him to do that. 
Fair enough. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about his offense is the free throw shooting. He got there, got to the line a lot, and the Bulls were, I think, dead last in free throw attempts per game last season. But and like Vucevic doesn't get there like at all. Zach doesn't get there as much as you would think for someone who, who drives a decent amount as athletic. Lonzo obviously doesn't get there either. So like I think that one of the reasons they got him is like some of that half court score when game breaks down, he can obviously have tough shots. He gets to the line. But I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. I thought I saw, I think it was Matt Moore, HB Basketball, brought up that he thinks the new rules, how, who knows how they'll enforce those, but he thinks the new rules are going to affect DeRozan a lot. Uh, I, certainly, I did not watch a ton of DeRozan. Like, is, do you think that is true? Do you think, like, did, was he a big seller of like jump shot fouls and stuff like that? Do you think that thing's going to, is going to come into play here? Yeah. So I, I don't really think that he sold many fouls off jump shots. Most of it was him getting to the line by driving the ball hard. And he did this thing that Harden does a lot where, you know, he dips his hands really low and then just raises them through the arms. And so I don't know if that's affected by the rule. I really, I'm not sure what to expect from the rule. How hard are they going to enforce it? How quickly are they going to enforce it? Um, I don't expect it to affect him that much because that's still drawing contact. I mean, if the player's hands are there, you're swinging it through on your way to like towards the rim, towards a layup. I feel like you would still get that, but really, I'm not, I'm not sure how much, the refs will call it this year, but it is interesting. I think out of all the players on the bulls, he's definitely the one who's going to get to the line the most. I think he's got a lot of veteran savvy. He has a bunch of ball fakes in his game. He understands how to get to the line and he shoots really well once he's there. All right. Defense. uh, Something we've been talking about is like, Hey, maybe DeRozan's better at the four than at the three at the four. You can sort of use your strength a little bit more. Maybe you're going against slower guys. Uh, Perhaps you're less involved in off ball action defensively. Spurs played DeMar DeRozan a lot at the four. That was a change early in his career when he was on the Toronto Raptors. He was almost exclusively used as a two-guard. He's a little bit undersized for a four, but uh, given the way the game is trending, you know, you could definitely get away with him minutes there. I think in the Bulls' starting lineup, he will start at the three. I personally think in the Bulls' closing lineup, you're going to pull Patrick Williams off the floor. You're going to add Alex Caruso. You slide DeMar DeRozan to the four. So I want to talk about DeRozan as a four. Uh, did he play the four, you know, all three years? Was that more? I, I believe I think it was more, more last year and more last year. Right. So like, you know, what was that transition like? And then defensively, uh, do you think that he's any better at the four or do you think it's still a disaster either way? Uh, I'll address the first thing that you asked about. So him playing the four, it's interesting that they labeled him as playing at the four. I really saw that he was mostly playing like the two, three. He had the ball in his hands almost like most of the time that he was on the court. You know, he was running plays. Mostly he got most of his points, most of his assists out of the pick and roll. Um, That's not all that surprising. But when you look at what he did when he didn't have the ball, he's mostly just standing around. I just I'm not really sure how you could label him as a four. I know that he did play the four. If you want to label him that way by like like, the players who he played with. Yeah. Um, like right. when he played with DeJounte and Lonnie and Derek in the bubble, like, yeah. yeah, he was probably the biggest player. He played some four defensively. I don't think it helped him at all. Like every single night they tried to stick him on the player who lowest impact, least threat to score. It, it really didn't matter. Um, he was pretty inactive. Doesn't really move that much. Uh, ball watched quite a bit. And even when he was on ball and he was engaged, he had a really bad tendency to reach. And then guys would blow by him or he would try to let them blow by him and reach from behind. And he just created havoc and not in a good way. So yeah, it was, it wasn't good no matter what position he was guarding, unfortunately. So I I hope there's some improvement. I hope that now that he has less responsibility on his hands, maybe he can devote more energy towards that end of the floor because he's not going to be playing with DeJounte and Derek, no offense to DeJounte and Derek, but 
I think it's going to be a lot easier for him with Lonzo and Levine. Like, I do think that that's a better pairing than Derek and DeJounte, although I do like those players. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and Heaven Vucevic there, obviously, to take offensive stuff as well. I also keep uh, keep forgetting about him. He's there, too. He's kind of <laughs> kind of just like lost in the shuffle. Uh, yeah, I mean, the defense is obviously just a big question mark for the Bulls. Like, I think a lot of people think they're going to suck defensively. They were like they were a little better than expected defensively last year. I think that a lot of people think like they were 12th, I think, in defensive rating. They, like, they got a lot better. Like, And I know like Zach uh, did a little more defense stuff like at the Olympics, and like that was a big talking point. Lonzo and Caruso, I think like the fact that they got them with DeRozan, I think should hopefully help. So like we're just hoping that they're going to be like mediocre defensively. Like, we're obviously not looking for like a top 10 defensive team. So like, if DeRozan can, if he is like obviously not as much responsibility offensively, even though he still will have the ball a decent amount. He can just be decent defensively. Like, cause I know, especially with like, you talk about how bad he is defensively. I do think that probably has played into like that, that on off, like his infamously bad, like on off numbers. I mean, just like looking at them right now at basketball reference, like they were negative. I think he's going like almost on like 10 straight years. What he's been in the league 12 years. looks like one year. He, like the team was better with him on the court than him off. Like, I guess, what do you just like make of that in general? Like, I know a lot of that, I think with Toronto was like the bench stuff, like the Raptors had like an awesome bench and it'd be like Kyle Lowry in the bench would just destroy it. So that kind of killed it. Uh, was that similar with the Spurs as well? I know again, the defensive stuff is obviously an issue, but uh, I guess, what do you just make of that? Like long streak of his teams being better with him on the bench or better on the bench that compared to when he's on the court. I think San Antonio's second unit was, like miles ahead of other second units for yeah. the last couple of years. They helped keep them in games. The trend was they would get behind in the first quarter. Once the second <laughs> unit came in, they would come, you know, pull back ahead or they would draw even. Then the starters would come back in, they would fall behind, and then they would go to whatever closing lineup they would have and you win, you lose. So I think with DeMar DeRozan, um, I do think he contributes to winning. I don't think he's just some net negative player, not worth it. And, and I think that's unfair. A lot of Spurs fans have labeled him as yeah. such, but I want to see more from him, especially on the defensive end. Like we mentioned, like, will he, will he put that effort in? I I'm not sure at this point. Is he, is he going to be who he is? Cause he's already in his thirties. It's right. not like yeah. he's going to be remaking his game completely, especially on the defensive end, but who knows? Maybe we'll see something different from him. Uh, maybe he'll want to put more effort in, but I do think DeMar DeRozan is a really good player. Although he has had those negative on off splits for, like you said, more than a decade, which it, you know, that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got two more for you, Jason. You can go after this one if you got any other questions sure. for Noah. But uh, the first one is just DeRozan's reputation as someone who sort of crushes bad teams but shrinks against more high-profile matchups. This specifically ties back to his time in Toronto when the Raptors uh, struggled to make deep runs in the playoffs, and really they just ran into LeBron seemingly yeah. every year when it was. He did have he, the numbers did get I think worse. I have to look at him again, but I feel like he had some some notoriously bad like playoff performances. Sure, and I know that the Spurs only made one playoff appearance in his first season of his three years in San Antonio, but you know from my perspective, the Bulls could almost use a guy who can just like <laughs> mess up the Cavs and mess up uh, you know some like the Pacers, like the lower tier teams because. The Bulls are really trying to win as many games as possible this season. It's a pretty slim margin for what's going to be considered a successful year or an unsuccessful year. If the Bulls win 40 games in the regular season, I think most of the fans are going to be like, well, what the hell? That sucked. Like, we thought we were going to have a better team. If the Bulls win 45 games, I think everyone's going to be pretty happy. So it's a very thin margin for error. And maybe 
when the season's at, you know, it's uh, sloggiest, DeMar DeRozan can carry you to some wins against some bad teams. So curious of what you think about DeRozan's reputation. I, I don't like the term bum slayer. I just am like cringing when I <laughs> think of it. But as someone who just like beats bad teams, and uh, if you did see him struggle a little bit more against quality opponents. You know, honestly, I didn't really notice that too much. I think he did play really well against bad teams, but I found him to be pretty consistent overall. I mean, it's pretty hard to shoot above 50% for two straight seasons. Um, you know, if you're if you're crushing bad teams and then you're really bad against good teams. I thought he was fairly consistent across the board, although he did have some really good performances, not so coincidentally against the Timberwolves, against uh, uh, the Cavaliers. But he did. He also played against some some quality playoff teams. Like, I don't know if you would consider the Dallas Mavericks a quality playoff team, but he had a game winner. He had about 34 points against them. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good through through almost every single game. He left it out there. I, I didn't have any complaints for him in that aspect, but it did seem that he, he played well against every team. I'm just looking at his playoff numbers right now, actually. And the one playoff series he did with the Spurs, the seven game series loss since the Nuggets, he shot almost 49% average 22, seven and five, basically. So like not bad uh, in one of the Eastern conference finals against the Cavs, he shot 50% average 23 a game. So like he's had his moments in the playoffs and he's also had a few stinkers, especially I think that was especially early on where he had some looking at his first few playoff series, like sub 40% basically every time. And then he started to get a little better. So I don't know if that's something we really have to worry. I mean, if the bulls are in the playoffs, that's great for us because the bulls have been just crappy for the last, whatever, four or five years. Uh, Ricky, you said you had one more, go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about the Spurs coming into this season, man. <laughs> like uh, most of the people who listen to this podcast, probably don't know too much about the Spurs because they don't have a big national footprint at the moment. Uh, they're in the Western conference too. So how are you feeling about the Spurs coming into this year? How many all-star teams do you think Josh Primo makes <laughs> and what sort of the next step for the Spurs in your opinion? Yeah. So this season, this season, I'm not really expecting a whole lot out of them. Like I saw that ESPN said, Oh, they're going to be 12th in the Western conference and Spurs fans are understandably up in arms. But I also think, yeah, that's really not all that, like surprising. Yeah. They're not that good. I mean, you look at the roster, who is the bona fide all-star? No one. I like DeJounte. I like Derek. I like Lonnie. I like everyone on the roster, but a lot of them seem a lot of nice those, guys. Like, third, fourth yeah. options. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure there's really a legitimate second option. Maybe Derek White, in my opinion, but he's almost never healthy. I love Derek White, but he's almost never been healthy since he's been in San Antonio. DeJounte Murray, fantastic player on the defensive end. He's been making strides on the offensive end. But you look at him, the things that he has to get better at, uh, seeing the floor better, distributing the ball better. Like, it's great that he doesn't commit a lot of turnovers, but he doesn't really create that many opportunities for his teammates. He doesn't shoot the ball off the dribble all that well out to the three-point line, which is almost uh, something that's necessary if you want to be one of the best point guards, starting point guards in the league. So I, I don't think they're going to be good this season. I don't think Josh Primo is going to play in San Antonio really at all. I think he's going to spend almost all of the year in Austin. Uh, same thing with Joe Wieskamp, their second round pick. And I think this is just going to be one of those years where, hey, let's find out who we have, who's worth keeping, and we'll go from there. Because I just don't think with Pop at the helm that they're ever going to be a team that goes, you know what? We're not playing very well right now. Let's tank. Because they could have done that the last couple of years. Yeah. They really could have done that the last couple of years. You brought up Pop. Is this is this going to be it for him? Like, how much longer do you think? I mean, he's done with USA Basketball now. Like, how much longer do you think he's got? 
yeah, he's done with USA basketball. And this is the last year of his three-year extension. Um, he's the oldest coach who's ever coached in the NBA already. So I think this is it. Like I could be wrong. He could sign and he wants to run it back with this team, but I don't see there's any clear Avenue towards title contention or even really legitimate playoff contention anytime soon. So it just doesn't make sense to keep bringing him back and bringing him back. Uh, now, even if he does retire, I do kind of have a feeling and no sources on this or anything, but I do have a feeling he would stick around the organization, right? Yeah. Oversee other things. Yeah. But it does seem like there to me that there's a clear successor in Becky Hammond. Uh, but we'll see with that. I mean, we yeah. really don't know. Uh, I something I forgot to bring up earlier, talking about the DeRozan sign and trade, were the rumors that like Larry Marketing thought he was going to be going there and ended up being <laughs> Thad Young. What were you, what, what do you think about Larry Marketing? Are you glad you got Thad instead of Larry? I, I, I kind of wish the Bulls would have kept Thad instead, but I wonder if that just couldn't didn't happen or what, they ended up making a decent move for, with Lowry anyways, getting what they got out of that sign and trade. But there were I, was, there was a lot of just talk about maybe Lowry will go to the Spurs. Uh, maybe he'll be included in like DeRozan trade or even in, even in another trade. I know people were talking about like getting DeJunte Murray in there as well, because I think him and Zach are like good pals or something like that. But yeah, yeah. Uh, did, do you, what do you think about Lowry? Like as Bulls fans, we've seen him obviously up close, super disappointing, but did you want him at all? Or are you glad because they've signed what Doug, they signed <laughs> Doug McDermott and Zach Collins, right? Yeah. I think I'm happy with Doug McDermott and Thaddeus Young and, and uh, Collins over Laurie Markinen. Um, not that he's a bad player. He's still very young. I'm sure he has some untapped potential, but from what I've seen, he's the things he's very good at, like shooting. He's great at them, but the things he's bad at like defense um, and everything yeah, else, he's not very, <laughs> he's not very good at those things. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy with who they got, but I also think with who they got, it doesn't signal a clear direction. Like yeah. to me, it tells me that they're going to try to be competitive. Doug McDermott's definitely playing. Uh, you know, guys who they brought back like Keita Bates job are probably, you know, playing over guys like, Lucas Shamanich, who they took in the first round in 20, uh, 2019. We'll see. It's, it's going to be an interesting season. I think having no expectations for the Spurs is going to be the best thing for, for the media, for the fans. Just go out there and, and have fun. You know, if there's a highlight or two every night, enjoy it. <laughs> Just enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess my last thing, Rick, Ricky, you done. I got one more. Okay, yeah. I, I guess just since you th said about the Bulls, DeRozan's there now, you've said you're not totally sure how it comes together. Your best guess do you think they make the playoffs or at least like make the play in? What would be your guess there? Yeah, I kind Give of us like a scene. The, the Give us a scene. We're putting you on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that they will make the playoffs. I don't really think that the Bulls won't make the playoffs. I know that Eastern Conference has gotten stronger in recent years, but I also think the Bulls got stronger. I like the addition of um, Lonzo Ball. I like the addition of Alex Caruso. And, you know, I do think that DeMar DeRozan will benefit from playing with guys like Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine. Like, I, I just don't see them not making the playoffs. Now, is it a 50-win team? No, I don't think so. But I think that they're going to be in a little bit better position to compete than the Spurs are, which, you know, may not be saying much, but at least it, it'll be different from probably what the Bulls fans have been seeing the last couple seasons. Yeah, and totally fair. Uh, I made this joke, but we went through, like, the schedule and uh, I somehow got to like 50 wins. We went through game by game. We did it on a <laughs> podcast. But, and after that, when we he counted up, I was like, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, I think we're both pretty relatively confident that they should be able to at least get into those like mid 40 range, obviously a big talent boost there. So hopefully we just want to see fun basketball too. Like obviously we want to make, see them make the playoffs, but like they have the worst record in the NBA over the last four years since trading Jimmy Butler. Uh, so just some fun, 
somewhat winning basketball would be a huge step for the Bulls. So we're hoping that hoping that happens, and then we'll see if they can take a next step from there. Uh, I think we're good here. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. This was great insight. Awesome stuff on DeMar DeRozan and the Spurs. Please tell our listeners, just give a shout out to all your work where they could find you online. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro. You can find my writing at Pounding the Rock. I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, No Magaro George. I do film breakdowns there. And then I have the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation. It's called Alamo City Limits. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. But thank you all so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I hope the Bulls do well. (laughs) Noah, you rock. Thanks a lot, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, We will be taking a quick break here. And then after that, we will have Matt Eason. He is uh, with his Quest for the Best podcast. We'll be talking about that. And then we'll talk about some more DeMar DeRozan uh, and stuff about this current Bulls team. So we will be right back after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to Cash Consideration, Chicago Bulls podcast. We got another special guest with us right now. It's Matt Issa, who just released a new podcast called The Quest for the Best, ranking the best players in NBA history. I talked to Matt for this project a few yes, months ago. Very cool to see it come into the world. So, Matt, what's up? Uh, why don't you give our listeners just like a brief synopsis of what you're trying to accomplish with this project? Hey guys, um, thanks for having me on. It's good to see both of you again after after speaking with you guys in the past. Uh, big fan of the show, so it's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so quick little uh, synopsis, I guess, is the quest for the best is basically a six part podcast series. It's kind of like a like a Netflix series or like a Mayor of East Town, whatever. But it's about <laughs> the ten greatest players in NBA history instead of like a procedural with Kate Winslet. But um. So, yeah, it's supposed to be like the most thorough and up to date deep dive into the 10 greatest players of all time. I have about 71 interviews that I've conducted. I want to say close to a thousand hours of game film consumed um, way too much. But um, a lot of work's gone into it. And basically it's getting released kind of like an 80s TV show, you know, once a week. You got to wait for it to come out. But it's pretty cool. The first two episodes as we talk are up right now on all podcast platforms again it's called the quest for the best uh so that's like the general breakdown of basically what's going on with that uh talk to us about your your methodology here because i know that that's one of the intro episodes uh obviously the scope of this project is pretty daunting for the person to just take it on so uh you know how, how did you go about whittling this down to the 10 best players ever and then ranking those 10 players 
Yeah. Um, I think like my greatest gift as like a person is like, I can like, I can be convinced of a lot of different things like perspectives, wives. So I'm like, I'm not like the kind of guy who like, I, I prescribe to one school of thought, you know? So like, I feel like in the NBA community, it's very polarizing in that, like we have like almost like two groups, three groups of people just kind of like battling each other. And that's like, you know, the heavy hardcore film analytics guys, and then like the casuals and then like, just like the guys who watch first take and whatever Stephen A. Smith says, like, you know, the Bible to them. So I've realized that all of that stuff like matters in a way and it needs to be all put together. So I created a little like acronym. It's awe. And, you know, I make a little joke about it in the, in the first episode, you know, how like simple it is, but it's like, basically it's um, the four A's stand for actual, which is like supposed to symbolize a game film, you know, coaches, X and O's analytics, which is like, you know, your PER, your wind shares, and then the more advanced stuff, um, you know, and then you have accolades, which is just like the, I, I always say like, you know, when Stephen A. Smith says, show me your resume or whatever, that's basically what it is. And I created like a new stat for, it's called AOS, but I talk more about it in the series. Um, and there's a link to the article about it, but basically the stat takes like our like psychological perspective of the player into account because like awards at the end of the day are decided by human beings. And so the way you're perceived by the masses per se is important to your all-time legacy in terms of greatest of all time. And then lastly, I do the anecdotal, which is kind of like the Jack McCallum, Bob Ryan, like on the ground journalism type analysis. And then the two W's are why higher and why below. So basically I just like, I'm like a really kind of, uh, I need to be really organized. So like, I need like a reason, like at least in my brain for like a specific reason, like, okay, this is why he's nine and not 10, or this is why he's eight and not seven, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's super. I mean, that's just so much work there. And obviously you just talk to, talk to a lot of people. I'm curious out of all the people you talked to, uh, I guess, what was the most just like interesting or like insightful nugget you got from just like all these interviews you went through? Or I guess who was the most interesting person you talked to? Certainly wasn't us, I'm sure. <laughs> well, actually, you know, Ricky's a pretty interesting guy. Both of you are interesting. Both of you are very interesting, but Ricky's like, he's got like, I don't know. He's kind of got like an old, like his story. He has like a really like, I don't want to say like, he has like a storyteller vibe. Like, he knows how to tell a story. So I thought that was cool. But um, the person who like going forward, forget like this project, but like, going forward influenced like my philosophy on basketball and moving forward. Um, Coach Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. I feel like he's just like, like all the coaches like know so much basketball, but like a lot of them, I think struggle. And we saw this with Eli the other night on Monday Night Football. Like he kind of struggled to me, like to explain to us what was going on in his head. Like, I know it makes sense to him what he's saying, <laughs> but he looks like an idiot talking about it on TV. But like coach Fran McCaffrey, you don't have that problem. Like he, he's a genius, but he can also explain it to you kind of like in a Tony Romo way. And he was so smart. And we just talked, like we talked a while um, about like this, the most like granular details of like basketball and stuff. And like I, in the project, he contributes definitely to like some of the information that's on there, but also just like moving forward, the way I analyze basketball will always be different because I talked to him. But um, another guy was Bob Ryan, who he was actually the first interview I conducted for the series. And that guy, man, he just knows like way more basketball Around a long I'll, time. Ever, <laughs> I'll ever know. But yeah, everyone was interesting. Everyone was fun. And 
I'm a different guy now because I got to talk to all of you guys. So those are two pretty big names. Run down the list of some of the other big names. Uh, you can exclude Jason and I in this. I know that we're <laughs> near the top for sure, but uh, run down some of the other names you talked to for this project. Yeah. Well, because this is a bull specific podcast. Um, Brad Sellers, I talked to him. Uh, he's a great guy. Dennis Hobson, um, who else? Uh, Coach Mike Woodson, Dean Oliver, uh, Trajan Langton, the Pelicans GM. Who um, Matt Painter, the Purdue head coach, just I, I can't blink in right now. I was supposed to. Uh, I don't know why I, I associate him with Chicago because he's not like a Chicago native. But Jack McCallum, he's actually the guy who set me up with Bob Ryan, but he couldn't do an interview because like a conflict with his something his agent was doing. But um, he's uh, he was another guy who I I was in contact with, but he helped me get Bob. I'm trying to think off the top of my head some other big guys. Uh I mean, everyone just, was like big. Yeah, and that's you know, a really like, a nice. I mean, wide array of opinions uh, Fran is funny as an Illinois fan Fran McCaffrey I always like to make fun of him just because he's always a red ass and that's kind of funny I'm sure he obviously knows a ton about basketball way more than I do but uh oh, always like you know I talk I talked to about uh, him <laughs> I talked to coach Bruce Weber oh yeah. yeah 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 I know he's at Kansas State now but yeah I mean he was coach of the best Illinois team of all time arguably if them or the flying Illini team whatever uh you mentioned the Bulls let's obviously since you're doing a top 10 of all time list uh, Michael Jordan obviously is going to be, I don't want to spoil anything or anything, but obviously he's going to be towards the top of the list. All the debates between LeBron, MJ, whoever else you want to have your, on your goat list. Just going through this project. Is there anything like, I don't even know how to say like, we know all obviously so much about Michael Jordan just through uh, because he is, I mean, the last dance and just like throughout his whole career, just how awesome he is and how so many people do think he's the goat. Is there anything you just like learned about MJ or just like, made you just go, wow, like just finding out stats, going through his game film just for this project or hear, hear anything interesting from anybody else about MJ? Because obviously as a Bulls podcast, we're all super interested about Michael Jordan around here. Yeah, um, obviously I learned a lot about Michael Jordan, more than anyone should know, honestly. <laughs> but uh, so like from like an analytic perspective, the one thing that really stood out to me is like this guy is most definitely the greatest playoff scorer that ever lived. Like he... His scoring is just like, even like Shaquille O'Neal, who's this dominant imposing force that everyone talks about at the peak of his powers, he was still a notch below Jordan. And that was something to me that really, really impressed me. Cause like we look today, like at a guy like Ben Simmons, who, you know, what's the big knock on Ben Simmons in the playoffs? Like good luck trying to get him to score. And then you got a guy like Michael Jordan on the other hand, who, I mean, not, not only does his scoring, like, does he maintain that incredible efficiency that he has in the regular season, but his volume goes up in the playoffs and he's still like the dip is so, so slight for the, the type of volume increase. It's incredible. But one thing that was really interesting to me is like, you know, like the, the whole idea, you know, don't meet your heroes, whatever. So like, you know, obviously we all talk about Jordan as if he's, you know, an otherworldly guy Thank or God. like, okay. Yeah. So like, here's an example. So like you have a, a friend of a friend, right? You meet your buddies buddy right and he like turns out to be like you think he's a really cool guy the first time you guys go get drinks right but like your friend knows like all of the ins and outs of this guy he knows he's just a regular guy you know what i mean so i thought like when i talked to you know like brad sellers brad would be like a little bit less reverential of michael because he like he like you know lived with him for three years basically he was his teammate you know they spent nights at hotels together he a grown man who played in the nba is even taller than jordan He's, he was a mayor for, I forget which city in Ohio, but, or Illinois or whatever it was, but he talks about Michael Jordan reverentially. You know what I mean? Like 
it never got it never got old with him. Like he was just that guy, and people like loved him, and, and people just looked at him like, okay, there's human beings, and then there's Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was a, obviously, I know some guys m- might not have the uh, best outlook on MJ, and obviously, we we've seen that before from other guys, who, other, some of his rivals. But uh, yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, uh, best MJ anecdote you got yeah. from sellers or anyone else. Uh, do you recall anything specifically that, you know, a little story or something you heard about Jordan while doing your research on this? The top of my head. I mean, none like none, like other than the ones that like we've heard really. I, I mean, yeah, no, nothing like it was just, it's the same. Like, I guess when I talked to um, coach Chris Carwell from Duke, he taught, he always talks about how after, so what, what, Coach K would tell the upcoming freshmen, he'd tell them stories about, you know, working with Jordan in the Olympics. And he said, after every practice, he would, he would tip, you know, single Coach K out. He's like, hey, man, can you, can you get my rebounds for me? You know, I'm, I want to take up some more jump shots. And this is like 92 Dream Team Jordan. So, like, we all know he's the best player in the world at this point. This is probably the peak of his powers. But he's even around like Barkley and all of them, Johnson and Bird, he, he's still like so concerned with getting better. You know what I mean? Even though he's, among all of the best players in the world. And he's like the clear alpha there. Like there's still a chip on his shoulder, you know, and ne- he's never really satisfied. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously MJ's competitiveness, just insane levels, just an absolute wild man. So sounds about right. Let's uh, let's shift our attention now to the current Chicago bulls. Uh, the bulls have not been good in a while. We have, uh, if you've listened to cash considerations, you know that we have been shitting on them forever, but now after this big off season, they've made all these additions. We're feeling a little bit better about them. Uh, we got Lonzo ball, DeMar DeRozan. First of all, the Lonzo ball tampering thing. I'm really curious what's going on with that. It's been a while. I mean, that's, we're like a couple weeks out of camp and there's been like nothing on that. So I'm very curious what's going on there, but uh, they make all these additions and it seems like the outlook on them is kind of mixed. I think I saw ESPN put out some projections the other day and that had the bulls at like 40 wins. Uh, I know, I think it was Chris Herring was on Zach Lowe's podcast. I think yesterday or today, it sounds like there was some disagreement there about how good they can be. It seems like they're, it's, they're kind of polarizing, which they're definitely like very much more interesting now. They're, they're much more talented but they're still kind of polarizing because a lot of people just really aren't sure like how it's going to fit together, how that's all going to work, man. What is your, what is your take on the, this version of the Chicago Bulls? Do you think they'll be a lot better? Do you think it will mesh? Do you think maybe they're going to be a big disappointment? Uh, where are you at on them? Yeah. Um, I was actually listening to your guys last pod a couple of days ago and I'm, I'm kind of like, I know you were saying it jokingly, but I'm kind of with you, Jason on the, they might, they might be able to get to 50 wins here. Like if you really think about it, I mean, I was at first, I was like, okay, like they're trying to do the Hawks, but like they don't have the young personnel to do what the Hawks did last season. But then I look at it and I'm like, okay, what have I learned about basketball? It's that talent matters for offense. And like defense is more about like, can you get your guys to buy in? You know, do you have the right coaching? coaching? Do you have the right scheme? And of course they have Billy Donovan, who's known for his defensive abilities. And I'm thinking about it like, Okay, if you get this five-man lineup, just like a hypothetical, say you run Caruso, Ball, Levine, DeRozan, and Vooch, right? Offensively, like, you know, you don't need me to tell you. Like, that's going to be a really good offense. I think Levine's one of the, in this system, he's going to be one of the 15 best players in the world this year and probably one of the 10 best offensive players in the world, right? That's hot. I like that take. 
I mean, no, I think it's it's real. I think it's a real take. I think like if you put Levine next to like, you know, who's the guys of his archetype, right? Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, um, Devin Booker, Booker yeah. Bradley Beal. I think honestly, he's he's primed to be the best out of all those guys this year because he's Ooh. he's probably in the best situation for his talents because of that on ball, off ball hybrid ability. Like a guy like Donovan Mitchell, what's the book on him? Like I don't know how much I love him off ball. You know what I mean? And also he's not really that strong of a defender either. Not that much better of a defender than Zach Levine and Zach Levine. You can play him both on and off the ball, but um, that's a different story for a different day. What I was going there with that is, so you have all those guys, right? You can put DeRozan at the four, which I think is better for his style of defense, his cadence of defense. I think he's better at using his strength than he is trying to move laterally. He's still a poor defender. Vooch has been a part of, you know, solid defensive teams, not because of him, but you know, it's decent enough, him. right? Yeah. Caruso yeah. point of attack warrior. Lonzo's a really good weak side guy. I think Levine buys in. He tries hard enough. They were the 12th ranked defense last year. But my thing is, so you have Caruso ball, Vooch, Levine, DeRozan. They're all like pretty high IQ guys. And I feel like with that on defense, they'll be smart enough to be a middle of the pack defense. So if you have middle of the pack defense, with top 10 offense, isn't that a recipe for 50 wins? I don't know about 50, but that, that is what we've been kind of getting at. Like as long as the defense like just isn't bad, awful, like the offense, you would hope the bulls offense. Like I feel like recent years, we've like kept waiting for their offense, like to be actually good, like for the offense to always be better than the defense. And it just like never is. They've had such a bad offense in recent years. So you would think now with this talent, they should hopefully at least have a top 10 offense. And then, yeah, if they could be even yeah, mediocre defensively, like I said, I don't know if they can get to 50. I did the whole, we did the schedule thing and I had them at 50. I like thinking back and that, I don't know if they can get to that, but like, I guess if all things go right, maybe they could, but that even if they, even if that doesn't happen, like I still would put them like semi-confidently like 45 to 47, which I mean, obviously a few other games go your way and boom, you're at 50. So like, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, that is kind I, of what, I, I got, where we've been at. Go ahead, Ricky. I got, I got a question for you here, Matt. Like, so you just did all this research, deep dive into NBA history. And the one thing I keep coming back to with the Bulls this year, a general lack of continuity, right? Like, obviously, they turned over the entire roster uh, since the trade deadline last year. Like, basically, only Patrick Williams, Zach, and Kobe White remain. So they don't have much continuity coming into this year. They're going to have to fit in a lot of new pieces. How important do you think continuity is towards building a high achieving NBA team, a team that can win a series, two series, whatever it is. Uh, Cause that's something the Bulls won't have going for them this year. Do you think it's overrated or underrated uh, just in the general scheme of how we view uh, NBA team building? Yeah. My, my initial like reaction to that is it's, like it's important because I mean, if you look through history, you know, the Celtics win championships, the Lakers win championships, the Bulls win championships, um, the Warriors won championships, whatever. And those were dynasties, but with the exception of the Warriors, who, you know, that's they're just like kind of an anomaly in history. But um, those are all like late older franchises, pre-player empowerment. So, like, can you really say like it was continuity that got them the championship, or is it the fact like nobody really leaves and they were the most talented roster? And so like they're gonna continue to be the most talented roster. But um, when you really think about it, though, like, I think it's a little overrated because like, okay, here's a good example. That 2008 Celtics team, what did they do? They put together three guys who 
you know, have a lot of institutional knowledge. Garnett is like one of the highest IQ players in NBA history. You know, Ray Allen, he's that off ball on ball hybrid. So same with Pierce and you're able to make magic. Right. And you put him with a smart head coach in Doc Rivers. So what are the, a defensive minded coach in Doc Rivers as well as I might add. Now, what do we do in Chicago? Not saying they're going to win the NBA championship. Yeah, but they're not winning put, 67 you know, games. <laughs> yeah, no. You put um, a high-level, high-minded defensive coach with guys who, like in Caruso, he's known for being a high IQ guy. Lonzo Ball, of course. DeRozan, he's becoming a smarter and smarter player over the years of this playmaking. And then Zach Levine, who's this on-ball, off-ball hybrid of the same ilk of, I don't want to say Pierce because Pierce is a much better on-ball scorer, but I would also say Levine's a better off-ball scorer than Pierce. But um, you put all those guys together and you have a passing hub like Nikola Vucevic. I think that high IQ, it's more about putting high IQ guys on the floor than it is about you know the camaraderie and you know all that. But I, that is important, though. It is important for guys to know each other and to be friends and to be brothers. But, I mean, that, that stuff can form throughout the season as well. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I do think, and we've brought this point up before, like the start of their schedule is pretty brutal. So like I could see that being an issue to start the season and they might not get off to a great start. Uh, was that like, was it November after like the first week or two, they just have like, they go all like West, they play a bunch of playoff teams. Uh, obviously sometimes schedule can look harder on paper than it ends up being, but on paper, the schedule looks really rough to start. And that's where I, I could see the continuity, lack of continuity coming back to bite them in the ass to start of the season. But you hope, as long as they stay relatively healthy as the season goes on, that the talent, if they buy the buy-in, all that kind of stuff, that that comes together. That's why 50 wins seems aggressive, but like, and maybe they start slow, but then they could come together across the course of the season and get hot. I mean, you talk about, you mentioned Atlanta earlier, obviously they don't have that young talent, but like Atlanta, they fired their coach, they made that big change. And then they kind of came together, they gelled. And they, they absolutely took off, and they were like a dominant team the rest of the season, got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, that is probably a bit much to expect from the Bulls of the season to be like that good over a long stretch of the year and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But if they can kind of follow that, maybe they can pull it off. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm trying to be optimistic going into this season. Uh, so to wrap up here, my last thing for you, Matt, uh, is just make a prediction on the Bulls this year. How many wins do you think they get? And I guess where do they end up seed wise, like what they, what they end up doing in the playoffs, if you think they're going to make it. Yeah. Um, just really quick. I, I'm curious. Do you guys think like, do you think yeah. I'm, I'm a little too high on them? I feel like am I, am I making a good point here? Or? No, I, th- I, th- I mean, we've, as we, we both think, I think that they're going to be decent. We all, we see there's some flaws here, but like they have, it's the talent level is much better. Uh, there I'm are saying, some man. questions about like the bench. Go ahead, Ricky. <laughs> I'll say, who knows? We haven't seen him play before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ESPN just did their predictions. They had the Bulls at 40 and 42. I, th- so I think that's way that too low. That would represent a low-end outcome for the yeah. season. I think that most fans, at least most of the fans that I talked to, if they went 40 and 42, that would be considered a disappointing season. However, if they win 45 games, I think that most fans would consider that a successful season. Uh, so they're not going to have a ton of margin for error right. in terms of, what qualifies as a good or bad season. So I think that, uh, you know, the way that you're viewing it is, you know, certainly could come to fruition. I think that's probably like a little bit higher end outcome, but uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, we haven't seen them on the floor before. We don't exactly know how the pieces will mesh. Jason and I can sit here all day and be like, well, we think DeRozan initiating the offense in the half court surrounded by the most shooting of his career is going to lead to a really solid ball moving based offense. But in reality, you got to see how it goes. You got to see how they're actually going to defend and how uh, everything's going to fit together. But 
yeah, we appreciate your insights. And I think that, you know, you, you, you could be onto something. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let me hear that. Let's get that final prediction. Well, I mean, I said all of that and I still think like, like you said, it's probably 46, 47 wins this year is very realistic to me. I'm kind of like on the Chris Herring side of things where I'm pretty optimistic about them. And I could see them stealing a first round matchup if they run into like a New York Knicks type team where it's like a team that clearly was built for the regular season. And then once the playoffs comes, you know, the, the train starts falling apart for them. Awesome. And I, and I would totally take that. If they, if they win a playoff series this year, I'd be ecstatic. Obviously you don't really expect them to beat Brooklyn or you beat or beat the bucks in the series. But if you give me one playoff series, win, that'd be a huge plus And, uh, That'd be totally dope. Uh, Rick, you got anything else or should we wrap up here? Wrap it up. All right, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Before you get out of here, please, again, shout out your big project. Shout out whatever else you want to shout out here uh, as we wrap up. Yeah, I just want to say, man, you guys are some depraved fans. <laughs> the one the one series is all, all you need. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at, at MattIsa15. My first name's only spelled with one T, so it's at M-A-T-I-S-S. A15. Forgot how to spell my name for a second. <laughs> but um, from there, there's a little link that's the link to the quest for the best feed where you could find it on any podcast platform. And that would be the best way to help me out is you know, follow me on Twitter and follow the quest Twitter account and you know, listen to the podcast because you know it would be it would be nice for my voice to be heard. That's all I can <laughs> say. Uh awesome, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll definitely be checking that out. And I mean, so much hard work you put in it was. Uh, it was honored to help you doing that. Uh, looks really great. Looks awesome. So yeah, please everybody go check that out. Quest for the best. Uh, all you people out there who like love the debate thing, love rankings, especially now. Uh, we got a couple weeks left still before training camp, and this is like the prime time to do ranking stuff and debate it's almost like stuff. Like I planned it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Works out perfectly just like that. So yeah, thank you again for joining us. We're gonna wrap it up here again. We got a couple weeks till training camp. It's it's really coming up on us really quick. Thank you to our guests. Shout out, as always, to the Blue Wire Network. Uh, with training camp coming up, we obviously got all our great NBA pods all across the network. Go check those out if you want to hear about any other teams or just the general NBA. We got the NFL season just started. Us here as uh, sad Chicago Bears fans, just an absolute debacle of a week one performance. Just miserable stuff from the Bears and Andy Dalton and Matt Nagy and the defense. Just a, just a disaster. But obviously, if you're in the NFL, we have a bunch of great NFL podcasts as well bunch of other great podcasts as well blue wire going to the moon great stuff for us here at cash considerations a chicago chicago bulls podcast please rate and review us give us those five star ratings on apple Podcasts. that that helps us out let us know how we're doing uh all that stuff you want to hit us up on twitter i'm jason at bulls underscore j ricky is at sbn underscore ricky um and that'll be that'll be it for us guys thanks again to our guests and we will talk to you guys next time <laughs>